Good morning, Chapel Hill. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. And if you don't have one, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will get you one that you can use to follow along in. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles this morning, you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive and dig into it with us. Uh, A couple of things I want to do while Bibles are going out here. First of all is this. Um, We are doing a fundraiser right now for Amnion Crisis Pregnancy Center. And uh, one of the things that I tried um, kind of spontaneously last year that worked out really well was this. Um, We're going to send some empty bottles, some empty baby bottles around here, and when they get to it, the ushers are going to go, and there's some empty bottles on the station back there, ushers, and you're going to grab those and hand out one to each section and let them just pass them through the sections here. If you have changed bills, you want to write a check, whatever, throw your credit card in there if it fits. Um, Just put something in that bottle, and we did really well last year at just a spontaneous offering for Amnion. So go ahead and give each, give each section one of those bottles. Yep, you guys back there. Um, give each section a bottle. They're just going to pass it back through their section. And then at the end, when it reaches the end of the section, um, they can either leave it on their seat or you guys can grab them and take them to the back there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up this morning was um, the significance of this day. And this is, not, uh, this is not a Hallmark holiday. This is not one of those that um, we just naturally recognize as just something that we, uh, we always acknowledge, but I want to acknowledge it this morning. Today is the International Day for the Unreached in our world. The International Day for the Unreached. And here's what that means. There are a lot of people in this world who have not yet been reached with the gospel. They have not yet been reached with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, looking at them in terms of people groups, tribes, groups that are made up of a unique language or, or environmental setting or something like that, specific people groups around the world, there are currently over 7,000 people groups that have yet to be reached. Over 7,000 people groups that have not yet received the truth about God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That represents more than 3 billion people on the planet. Our work's not done, church. It is not done. And I want to pause this morning before we dive into the word together and just lift this up to God because it's not impossible for him. At all. So will you pray with me? God, how privileged we are to have received this life-saving truth from you. That out of your love for this world, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sin of the world so that we could be restored to you that we could be brought back into relationship with you, that we could be adopted again into your family and receive life eternal. How privileged we are to grow up in a country where this message is readily available for us. How blessed we are to have been led to a church, uh, an event, an individual where that message was communicated to us 
and we received it and we gave our lives to you and in exchange received eternal life. And how humbling it is then to realize that there are still over 7,000 people groups, over 3 billion people in this world who have not yet heard of your love for them. And as impossible a task as this may seem, I want to lift it up before you this morning and ask that you would continue to do your work in this world, that you would continue to put on the hearts of us, of your family, this challenge that lies before us, the reality that there are over three billion people in this world that you have created in your image who have not had the privilege of hearing how much you love them. So God, I ask that you would call those whom you've chosen to call, that you would give courage to those who lack courage, that you would remind us that it is your spirit in us that gives us the words to say, that you would remind us that all around us is the opportunity to do this, to speak your truth into someone's life, not knowing how that's going to play out, how you're going to use each individual that you save to carry on the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples to go into all the world and tell them about you. So God, as, as impossible as it may seem, I ask that you would accomplish the task of bringing this world to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Use us in that. Help us to see the, the reality of, of you bringing the world to us and giving us countless opportunities to shine light into the darkness so that that light can spread throughout this world. May your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we started our new series of messages entitled Deconstruction. What we're doing in this series is we're taking a good look it's some of our pursuits, some of our priorities, and some of our values, and we're breaking them down so that we can examine them. And the reason we want to examine them is to determine whether or not we've gotten off track, and we have. We have. We're humans. We do that. Are we pursuing things that God's calling us to pursue, or are we going after things that the world is drawing us to that really don't lead us where God wants us to go? We have to ask that question. When we look at the priorities that have been established in our lives, do those priorities best represent God's priorities for us? What about the pursuits? What about the values? Are our values God's values? Do we see life through the right lenses? Do we make our decisions according to the things that matter to God or are we making decisions based on what the world values or simply what we value ourselves? And that leaves us with a lot of questions to ask ourselves over the summer and my prayer is that this will lead us to a lot of answers as well. 
Our goal is to surrender each of these areas to God and allow him to rebuild our pursuits and our priorities and our values according to his wisdom, according to his will and his plan for our lives. Last week, we looked at the area of dominion. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over what he created. What happened to the practice of dominion when sin entered the world? How did Jesus speak into this area? Well, he walked with us. It caused us to pause and reflect on our legitimate quest for dominion. And then I believe that we had our eyes open to Jesus' perspective. And I hope that we were all able to do a little deconstructing and start some rebuilding. This week we're going to look at the topic of relationships. There are going to be some similarities to last week's process. But it will look very unique as well. And my prayer has been that we will commit to some new or renewed perspective on relationships this morning. And so let's invite God to do that in us right now. I want you to think for a few minutes about where relationships are at in our world. What is the state of relationships in our world? It's not a healthy looking picture. It's not. There are some really good things about relationships, but there are some really scary things as well. I see an increased presence of shallowness in our relationships today. I see distance between people rather than closeness. I see the way that tools like cell phones have kept us from developing relationally like we could or should. But cell phones aren't to blame. They're just tools that help us achieve what we desire. There's something deeper at play here. I see the increasingly selfish trend in us when it comes to relationships. We use people for our own benefit. We expect people to be able to fill our need for affirmation and significance and a host of other things. I see the way that we tie our identity closely to our relationships. Our achievements relationally bring a sense of value to our lives. I see the rise of safety in creating security in our relationships We only portray what we want people to know about us, especially on social media. We text rather than call because there's less risk involved. Face-to-face interactions are riskier, so they're being replaced. I see the increase in expendability when it comes to our relationships. And not just on the level of marriage and divorce. The divorce rate is actually going down in this country. Expendability affects relationships on all levels. We cut them off far too readily. Yet in, all the midst, in the midst of all of this, the, the need for relationships has never diminished, has it? They're essential to every one of us. We pursue relationships. We prioritize relationships. We value relationships. What concerns me is where they're headed. I don't want to ignore the role of relationships in our lives before coming back to this topic as a church from time to time. What I want to do this morning is begin to break down this critical area in our lives and then allow God to do some rebuilding in us and in our relationships. I'm going to build a visual from the base up that represents where things are at and where things are heading and then break this down, examining the baseline where we'll do some deconstructing and some rebuilding. Like last week, the baseline for us regarding relationships has to do with a need that we were created with. We have wired in us 
a need for relationships. We need affirmation. We need acceptance, significance, security, community, and at least a few other things that relationships provide for us. That is a legitimate need. When God created man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone, and he was right. But seeing this need as the baseline for relationships, we can easily get off track. The need can become a selfish quest to fill that need. And then the wrong things are built onto that base. We can easily develop a set of expectations regarding our relationships. I need affirmation. So I will develop an expectation of others that they will affirm me. I need acceptance, so I'll develop an expectation of people that they will accept me. I need to feel significant. I need to feel secure. I need community, so I will develop a set of expectations of other people that they will meet those needs for me. And of course, being that we're not perfect, we're going to let each other down. People are going to let me down, and the next level of this reality is established. If someone in my life is not going to fulfill my expectations and meet my needs, I reserve the right to remove them from my relational sphere. I have legitimate needs relationally. Those needs have to be met. You're not meeting those needs. There's the door I'm going to need to go in a different direction. Well, this obviously doesn't look like the healthiest model for relationships. But to various degrees, it's really easy to go this direction. Our selfish, sinful nature thrives on models like this. We hold our place at the center of our worlds, and everything flows in our direction. Needless to say, we're going to challenge this model this morning. And we're going to challenge more than just the two levels above our baseline. We're going to challenge the baseline itself. And here's what I mean. We can agree that we have a need for relationships that was wired into us when we were created. But why do we have a need for relationships? Where did that need come from? In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We used this verse last week to talk about dominion. That comes later in the verse. But what about this part of the verse? We can't skip over this. God was pretty clear here about something plural. He said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Hard to ignore the plural nature of God's statement here. Who are they? Who's he talking about? Why did God speak this way? Well, it would seem that God meant the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God has always existed in community. Now he was creating a new community like the one that he had always enjoyed. In what image is God talking about? What does he mean by creating man in our image or after our likeness? He was creating man in community. Man would not exist alone, independent. Jesus even prayed for this in John 17, a prayer that we looked at not too long ago. He prayed that we would all be one just as God was in him and he was in God. He wants us to be in them. There's no isolation there. God created us to be in relationship. 
God himself finds fulfillment in the context of relationship. He experiences the oneness that can be found in relationship. He has that same desire for us that we would experience oneness. So what if instead of seeing our need for relationship at the base of all this, we see it in a slightly different way? What if our baseline becomes the fact that we were made in God's image? What if we built on that and our need for relationship was based on that? What if we agreed that God's image and presence in us was sufficient for our relational need? What if being in Christ in relationship there was all that we needed? Now we tend to look at the relationships in our lives to provide the things that we need. We've talked already about our need for affirmation and acceptance and significance and security and a host of other things. But what if all that was met in our oneness with God in our, in our most important relationship? This is a game changer, church. This changes our lives. The Apostle Paul was so good at this. He could see God's sufficiency clearly and so he wrote about it clearly. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And yet again, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And one more time, it from a different letter, Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was clear on this. And he's inviting us to be clear on this as well. God is sufficient, including in the area of relationships, God is sufficient. This means that we operate from a position of completeness relationally. We are complete. God is sufficient. We can find guaranteed acceptance, affirmation, significance, security, and more in Christ. All the things that we're looking for in relationships, we can find in Jesus. And I mean this from a, a reality standpoint, not just a doctrinal standpoint. This is real. This is our experience. We may have to fight for it, but this is our reality, church. In Galatians 5.22, Paul writes about the things that come to us with the presence of God's spirit in our lives. Paul talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And who do those things benefit? Us. This is part of what God provides. He provides all that we need. He is sufficient. God's desire is for us to be Complete in all ways, including relationally. And he can provide it all. That's the abiding that Jesus was talking about in John 15. We get all we need for life by abiding in him, including relationally. We've got all of it. 
And so my new baseline established through Jesus is me being created in the image of God. The need is still there, but the need is met in the sufficiency of my eternal father. Being made in his image and having my relationship with him restored through Christ, I am complete and whole. My need for love is met. God loves me and is sufficient for me. I have received and am receiving the love that I need. Let me just address here the absolute necessity and value of believing that we were created by God and in his image rather than existing by chance and in our own image. I don't want to live with that kind of emptiness. I am not sufficient to meet my own need for love. The people around me are not sufficient either. That pressure is off if I live by the fact that I was created in God's image. If I am made in God's image and I find all that I need in him, I can live in the freedom that God intends for me. I am now operating with a full tank, not an empty one. I no longer have to live as a receiver. I become a giver. I no longer have to commit my time, energy, emotions, and more to finding the love that I need. I have it. Now I can give it. And this is exactly what God intends for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he, because God first loved us. God loved us first. He offered us all that we need relationally. And now we love because of that. We're not left to search high and low for love and try to squeeze in some time to give love as well. We're givers, completely satisfied in God's love for us. In his image, then, we love. What we've been looking for in this world is actually what we were created to give to this world. Relationships, by God's design, are based, then, on giving, not receiving So things change in the way we view and build relationships. We don't need love. We have love. We don't create expectations of others. We serve others. And we do not view others as expendable. We live in covenant towards others. We give out of our completeness. We don't stop giving out of our commitment to love the way that God loves. Because we have received to the point of fullness we're free to give. We're free to give. It's like, we've been in, we, like, it's like we've inherited hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't have to spend our time and energy trying to get anymore. We look at what we've received and we give without fear of ever running out. God has been, is, and will always be sufficient for you and me. In light of this, 
We commit to being givers. We make a covenant, an agreement, a contract with God that we will represent him and his covenant to us, to the people in our lives. We will love them as he loves us. First and foremost, in every relationship, we agree that we will agape the people around us because God agapes us. Listen to the ways that the Greek word agape is used just in the book of John that we just studied together. This is what is meant by agape, and it's just been translated into the word love. Here are the different ways that it's used in John. To have a preference for, to wish well of, to regard the welfare of another to take pleasure in someone, to prize them above ourselves, to be unwilling to abandon them or live without them, to welcome them with desire, to long for them. In his words throughout the book of John, this is how Jesus used the word agape that we translate into the word love. This is what we're to do with each other. More specifically, this is what I am to do for the people in my life. I'm to put them above myself, to wish them well, to regard their welfare, to take pleasure in them, to prize them, to welcome them, to long for them in my life and be unwilling to abandon them or to live without them. This is the love that God has for us and you and I, church, have received this love. We put our faith in this love. It's real and we have it. And we invest our lives in reflecting this love to the people around us. And next week we're going to put this into specific contexts as we look to rebuild the relationships in our lives. For now, we have to recommit ourselves to this baseline. God loves us in this way. Made in his image, we love others in this way. In the book of John, we saw and heard how Jesus affirmed this. John got it. And so when John wrote letters to the church, guess what he wrote about? He wrote a book about Jesus, the book of John, and some letters to the church as well. Let's look at some of what he wrote. Not a surprise after walking with Jesus. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. John's letters are so clear and so pointed. This is 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. John writes, Church, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God's love for us is beyond description. Jesus laid his life down for us, and he's asking us to pass that love along through the image of God in us, through deed and through truth. Now turn over to 1 John 4, verse 7. This is what John wrote to the church in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. He wrote, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, isn't that clear? This is how we approach our relationships. God loves us. His love is sufficient. And we then, made in his image, reflect his love through our love for the people around us. Look at verse 19. He writes, we love because he first loved us. And verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love one another. That's what he's saying to us, church. This is a huge task if we believe that we need to go out and harvest that love for ourselves. A farmer can't share his own crop with others if he hasn't harvested that crop himself first. But we have received that harvest from God already. God's love for us is sufficient. Our grain bins are full. We have all that we need from God in this life. When Jesus comes back and sets things right again, we're going to be perfected and we're going to do this perfectly for each other. Meanwhile, in this life, we're being called to give, to love, to agape each other. The image of God is our baseline. Not our need for relationship. Serving and giving is our expression of that image. And never giving up is our commitment. That, that is true love. And more next week on what that looks like in real life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now as we close our time together and I'm going to ask that you pray with me Let's spend a little time with God here before we close our service together in song. Let's pray. And in a quiet moment here before God, I want you to I want you to reflect on a few things. I want you to ask yourself a question. And this is a hard one. But as you just sit here with God, just focused on him, ask yourself the question of whether or not God really is sufficient for you. had to do this in my own life. Look back at the amount of energy you've put into expecting, seeking love from the people in your life to the point where if you're not getting it from them, then you don't feel like you've received enough. 
How much have you given into temptation to, to keep looking and looking and searching and searching and try all these different people and different ways for you to get the affirmation and acceptance and significance and security and community that you need? from somewhere other than from God. Is God really sufficient for you? Sometimes this is just a, just a matter of faith because we don't have somebody that, whose, whose voice we can audibly hear whose hand we can feel on our shoulder. And we have a hard time believing that it's real. But God says to you, my son, my daughter, I am sufficient for you. He says to us, I love you perfectly, completely. He says, I am agape. I am unconditional love. He says to each one of us, I have committed to you eternally. I will never love you less. No matter what you do, it is not going to push me away. It's not going to make me love you any differently than I did from the start. So this morning, just let them know if you're feeling a little shaky in this area. Let him know that you want to believe that he is sufficient. Ask him for the faith, for the faith to step through that absence of audible voice or physical touch. To see him by faith, to receive that love that he has for you by faith. Maybe what you need to do this morning is just talk to God about whether or not you're really reflecting that image that you were created in. Just let him know that that's what you want to do, that's your desire. Ask for his help. He doesn't expect us to just automatically do this perfectly. We were born with a sinful nature. We were born selfish. Part of his transforming work in our lives is to bring us to that place where we see his sufficiency, where we know that we have received fully and we give. Spouses, maybe it's time for you to just do a little examination and say, okay, am I, am I truly loving my spouse this way or do I have expectations of them? 
Father, I thank you this morning that you are absolutely, totally sufficient for each one of us. That not one of us is lacking anything relationally that we can't find in you. I pray, Father, that every single one of us would come to you in faith, in humility, and believe in the love that you have for us. Stand on it firmly. I thank you for all that you've done in in my life to help me take steps in this direction, and I pray that that would be all of our experiences, that we would be just day by day getting closer and closer to you and closer and closer to that full understanding that, God, you are sufficient. You are everything that we need. I thank you that you offer us affirmation. You created us and said, that's good. That you offer us acceptance. You welcome us into your family as adopted sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That that you have established our significance. We are made in your image. We've been chosen by you to be a part of your family. How can there be anything more significant? That you have offered us security eternally. You have wrapped your arms around us, embraced us, welcomed us in, and said that, that your arms are strong enough for us, your hands are strong enough to hold us. That if we will just put our faith and trust in you, there is nothing that can touch our spirits for all of eternity. God, thank you for this. Thank you for being so generous with us. And God, I long for the day when we will be that generous with each other. When because we understand how fully sufficient you are, we become full-time givers. pray that more and more we will experience that in this church, that you will grow us in this area, that we will live in agape love towards each other. An unconditional love that gives without tiring, that will not give up. God, help us to take this new baseline of, of the reality that we were made in your image and to begin to rebuild our lives on that. Pray that you'd walk us through this journey together and as we head into next week and look at some of the different areas in our lives where this directly affects our relationships, um, God, give us wisdom and insight, give us courage, give us a deep faith and trust in you that we are not risking anything because you've given us everything. Thank you for being so, so generous to us. Thank you for your perfect love that is beyond what we can understand, but we are increasing in our understanding. Teach us to love one another the way that you love us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.